When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Fifty Shades of Blue. Uh, this episode, um, we kind of do the standard, go through BYU sports, primarily BYU basketball and whatnot. Uh, it gets very tangential at first, um, talking about deep dish pizza and how much we hate it. And then we get into some BYU sports. Then we take a little bit of a different route. Uh, we start talking about uh, kind of a, a tweet specifically that we both came across earlier last week and we kind of discuss it and we think kind of its asinine premise deserved discussion because it was really enlightening for us to kind of see how some specific people look at specific situations. So anyway, wanted to apologize about the static feedback on my end. Um, we'll definitely get that fixed moving forward, and it's not too bad. It's definitely still listenable, but still kind of annoying at times, and I'm sorry about that. But moving forward, shouldn't be an issue. Uh, thanks for listening. And hope you enjoy it. I don't like Utah. In fact, I hate them. I hate everything about them. I hate the program. I hate their fans. I hate everything. So it felt really good to send those guys home. Killer for Dad has become a big time college basketball star at BYU. That's one of my lyrics in the song. There couldn't be a, a prouder older brother than Carlino. Me. A bounce to Haas. Haas posting up short corner right to the middle. Fades away. Got yeah! it! Gotta watch the three. When you do what's right on and off the field, uh, I, I think the Lord steps in and, and uh, plays a you know plays a part in that magic happens. Alright, Chase, we are back again. It's been about a week hiatus roughly. Uh kind of took a break. Maybe I could probably blame it on getting through COVID. I'm now COVID free, at least so they tell me. Um bouncing back and just ready to get back to the real world. And you are recently COVID vaccinated. Have you gotten both? Yep, I've gotten both. I'm uh, I'm good to go. Don't even need a mask anymore. Just throw me at all the COVID. Okay, so now you're able to go maskless anywhere you want just because you have a shirt that says I've been vaccinated? Um, I did not purchase the shirt yet. I, uh, I, uh, yeah. I did. <laughs> I haven't been vaccinated, so. I, well, that's a lie. It's, uh, you're living a, a giant lie right now. It's all right. At least I won't turn into a zombie in about, I don't know, what did they say, six to eight months? Is that what they told you? Yeah, I just, I figured six to eight good months was better than getting COVID. So I, I went with the vaccination. That's, yeah. might be right. It was not fun by any means. I'll tell you that much. It's good to be back though. I'll tell you, it's, life is relatively stress-free now. Um, this is not my endorsement of getting COVID, but I'll just say that, you know, Life is stress-free, and there's no more anxiety. Not that I ever had a lot anyway. Here's but. a question. Did, did it make you appreciate the taste of food more now? Yeah, it absolutely did. Losing taste and smell was so freaking weird, man. And I lost my appetite for a couple days. I think I lost like five pounds in two days and since COVID came diet. back and then some. But, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really bizarre. But then once you get taste back, no joke, it really is kind of like, oh, geez. Like, because... Eating when you can't taste it is a chore. Like it's homework. You don't look forward to eating. You don't want to eat. There's nothing. There's no immediate benefit to eating when you can't taste it, which I know is kind of 
a sad excuse because, you know, we should just try and be nutritious when we can to get energy. But it's, I guess maybe I've exposed myself as someone that only eats for pleasure, which, hey, spoiler alert, that's how I've been for all 33 years of my life. So I don't really, I don't really know what else to say. So what's the uh, first thing you ate when you got back from the tasteless days? Uh, you know, the first thing I can remember, like really tasting and enjoying was pizza at my sister's house. And it was uh, like one of those good, like pizza, dedicated pizza, wood fire restaurants. And um, it was a, it was, <laughs> it was next day pizza too, but we heated it up and uh, it was fantastic. And they had these garlic knots that I dipped in some marinara sauce. Ooh, it was a good time. It was, it was a. Uh, became one of those things where it's like it's the simple things in life that you really enjoy you know yeah as long as it's not deep dish i I don't do deep dish pizza but besides that yeah well deep dish is a joke man i'm with you there in fact that's so overrated like that's where chicago just straight up gets it wrong yeah deep dish isn't good it's it's like lasagna but with bread instead of noodle it's terrible how are you are you supposed to eat it with a fork i've never understood do you just take a big handful of pizza and shove it in your mouth or <laughs> i don't really know well you can if you want to be somewhat barbaric but um so i did it with a fork i i had pizza in the heart of chicago at a, at a restaurant called gino's east which had like all the chicago celebrities signing pictures at that place so apparently it's like a big deal it was a big restaurant um i hated it i did not like the pizza there i thought it was vastly overrated and just very bready just a lot of bread in that pizza with marinara sauce that's like really all i could taste was those two things and yeah i did use a fork and yeah i didn't appreciate it that much yeah i'm actually surprised um in home alone they're in chicago but they didn't get deep dish they just got regular old cheese pizza that's probably the most realistic thing about that movie. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody actually wants deep dish. Not even Buzz. <laughs> Not even Buzz, man. Not even Buzz, but that's no surprise. Buzz Buzz is brilliant. So. <laughs> All right. Well, should we get started? <laughs> <laughs> We're already going off on tangents. I love it. Um, yeah. So the big, the big recap that we have to start off is obviously the St. Mary's game. You know, you played St. Mary's on Thursday and then San Francisco on Saturday and pulled off both wins, which were not, um, certainly not gimmies. St. Mary's was not only not a gimme, it was even kind of questionable and not looking good there for a little bit. But I, I kind of have a hot take to recap this win by St. Mary's. And my hot take, probably, probably not so hot if we're talking to BYU fans, which kind of goes against the whole idea of this podcast, but... I think this is the dawn of a new era of Pope and BYU basketball and us actually being in our appropriate place in the WCC, which is basically like better than St. Mary's year in and year out. I think, I think we're kind of hitting that stride right now after watching that game. Well, yeah, I think the evidence is there because what shocks me the most about what we're seeing this year is I I don't, I can't think of any sport or any team that has completely reverse their identity in one season's time and continued success despite of despite that and uh when you look at BYU last year just being a highly off highly efficient offensive team to this year being in every single way the exact opposite of that team and yet still being good and managing to win games on the road against St. Mary's San Francisco teams that we did lose to on the road last year 
um, yeah, I, I, I think all the evidence is there that the Pope, uh, I guess Pope being there is, has created a new era of BYU basketball. And, and I, I think that he's for real at this point. Yeah. And the, some people would look at that game too, that last game of St. Mary's and maybe think it was somewhat of a fluke because they, it's like, you know, St. Mary's literally stopped scoring for 10 minutes straight. I think, what was it from like the, it was the 10 minute, like 40 mark. Yeah. And, they hadn't, and then they didn't score again until like the one minute and a half mark. No that, joke. Like that's, that's crazy. That's actual timeline. Yeah. So like literally a whole quarter of the basketball game, St. Mary's went scoreless. And you'd look at that and you'd be like, well, that's kind of fortunate for BYU and a little bit on the lucky side too, which yes and no. I mean, they're playing at St. Mary's, so you should be. They should have been extremely familiar with that setting. Granted, they don't have a crowd really to kind of cheer them on and kind of get that energy going, so that does change the dynamic a little bit. But with that said, they're familiar with that court. They're comfortable in that arena, no question about it. BYU really, in that moment, and this is what I like about the Pope effect. He really, really focused on. Listen, if we're not going to just outpace these guys on scoring alone, then we're going to outpace them on rebounding, and we are not going to let them get a second chance point. And that's really what happened, is that you saw these guys, BYU basketball players in at the moment, that were just they were just scrambling. Every time a shot went up, they were the only ones even close to the ball whenever it would come back off of the miss. And their defense was pretty locked down in those times, too. It was really impressive to see how we just kind of buckled down because we're like, well, if we're not really going to score that well, let's at least do everything we can to stop them from scoring. And that really worked out. And then eventually we started scoring. Yeah, it, it, there's more than one way to win a basketball game. And, and this Pope team, while they don't look that pretty and it's easy to be a fan and complain about how we don't have shooters and we're not efficiently putting the ball in the hoop, they're winning basketball games. And like I said, these are games that we lost last year and we considered that team to be the best team other than the Jimmer team in all of modern BYU basketball history. What they're doing on defense, and particularly I want to point out Gideon George in the last two games, those were both games that felt like losses deep into the second half, and then Gideon George comes in, and the guy just brings a spark to the team that it's it's pretty pretty fun to watch, and I'm very excited to see what Gideon can do as he gets more involved in the system and, and learns all the everything uh, Pope is bringing to the to the table I think Gideon George is going to be an absolute star by next year well and I also don't want to leave Caleb Lohner out of that talk either I Caleb Lohner I thought was a big piece of kind of just the tenacity that we saw on defense and getting those defensive rebounds specifically I, there's no question you're, you're right about Gideon George provides this dynamic where he's he matches Caleb Lohner intensity on defense and on the rebounding or just crashing but with that, I think you're right. He kind of adds this dynamic on the offense where he's so athletic that he really kind of puts defenses on their heels when he's in the zone. He's just kind of coming at them, and they're a little bit worried. Like, they're kind of worried when he has the ball, it seems like. So I, I'll give you that. It's The future of BYU is pretty bright in basketball, and at this pace we're on right now, we should make the tournament really shouldn't be too difficult even at this point right what do you think well so lunardi has us still as his last team in um it's kind of funny because i feel like when you look at our resume this year compared to last year around this same time 
I would say this year's resume actually might be a little bit better because last year at this point we had four or five losses. We had lost to San Diego State. We had lost to Boise State. We had lost to Kansas, Utah, St. Mary's, San Francisco. I mean, there was a handful of losses. Then we went on this huge tear where we pretty much won out the entire year, even beating Gonzaga at home until we lost in the conference tournament to St. Mary's. And so I think that's the difference is we, we're still waiting to see if this team can replicate that kind of tear down the stretch and just blow away the whole conference, including a win over Gonzaga, which that's going to be a tall order. But yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think the future is bright. I think we shouldn't go without giving a shout out to Harward as well. Cause that guy balled out as well um, yesterday. And so, uh, Very true. so I think, yeah. I think even when harms is gone, we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be sitting pretty still at the, at the big man position. So plenty, plenty of good things to, to look forward to. Yeah, Harvard's a, a junior, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right? so we'll get him back one more. Good. That's the thing. Like, it seems like they, you know, Pope and the BYU coaching staff have kind of set us up for, you know, kind of a nice transition. Like, we got some good transfers. We we have some good new players, and it does kind of seem like I mean, if 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 Pope can get us into the tournament this year. That's incredible. I mean, not obviously you look at the team now and it's like, well, yeah, we should be in the tournament. But I mean, coming out of last year, no one ever would have thought we would have made the tournament. Yeah, losing. And here your... we are, like it's looking like a very real possibility. And if he if he pulls that off, that's that's an incredible feat, I think, and he deserves the accolades for it. Yeah, and like I said, it's gonna we're gonna have to see how we do down the stretch because this team, as much as I'm enjoying watching them succeed, they, they, it kind of feels like a team with how stagnant we can get on offense at times. We could easily drop a game to some crap WCC team. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I hope that's not going to happen, but with the, with the way we struggle to score the ball consistently, you can lose any game. So let's just see what happens. I would agree with that. Yeah, we definitely shouldn't get our hopes up. Um... And it turns out that as of right now, USC wasn't even that bad of a loss. Yeah. Uh, they USC, I think, has only lost twice. Yeah, Boise State's so. lost once, and um, Gonzaga obviously hasn't lost. So that's three losses total com- to our to our opponents that beat us. So definitely no bad losses on the record yet. Um, I think we're that San Diego State win was supposed to be our big win. Now they're kind of struggling. They lost to Utah State twice in a row now. So I guess that makes the Utah State win we better. Utah State. Yeah, yeah. So instead yeah. of ha- instead of having one really good win, we have two good wins. So I guess take yeah, that. we're getting more of those tier one and tier two wins. Yeah. It seems like it, it'll still help our cause to, to get a big one over Gonzaga if we can, because I think you you really want to have that one just marquee win on your record to to avoid getting snubbed. But we're, I think we're we're sitting pretty good. What were you gonna say? So I was going to say I want to take an opportunity and point out one of your worst takes uh, since I've known you. Uh-oh. And this is saying a lot. Um, actually, I don't know if it's one of your worst takes because you've had some really bad takes. But that's, that's what happens when you're constantly shooting for the stars in your, in your cre- <laughs> to your credit, right? Because, um, you know, it's kind of fun to shoot for the stars and get banned on Cougar Board as many times as you do. Um, so Mac McClung, I remember when we lost out on – getting him at BYU when we were kind of one of, I think, five teams, I think, and that were one of four or five teams that were in contention to get him. Yeah. 
And when, after you picked Texas Tech, I remember you told me, you're like, you know, I think that's okay because he doesn't really seem like a system guy. He kind of seems like he does his own thing and may not really fit into kind of a Pope offense. And in the meantime, Mac McClung is absolutely tearing it up and Texas Tech is doing very well. They lost to Baylor um, recently, but, you know, it's Baylor. Baylor's like freaking killing it right now. So no surprise there. Um but something tells me Mark Pope would have been able to fit Mac McClung into our system just fine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I was probably wrong about that. I didn't anticipate how badly we were going to struggle offensively this year. Um, I had no idea that Pope was going to completely reverse uh, our, our identity as a team. And I think knowing now how much we are lacking for someone who can reliably get to the hoop, get points when we're in a slump, yeah, we could probably use Mac. I'll, I'll admit that was a bad yeah. take. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, though, I understand because you're kind of trying to just soften the blow at that point. Um, oh, yeah. It's kind of like uh, when, when, a, when a girl dumps you or whatever, you have to be like, oh, I wasn't into her anyway. <laughs> you know, it's the same, same thing. Exactly. <laughs> you're just grasping at straws to find whatever excuse. And, her, her loss. Yeah, but we can look at that now. Her loss, yeah. He did go to my other school, though, Texas Tech. I do love Texas Tech, my Red Raiders. Yeah. Um, former alum of that school so i can i can i can credit i can uh claim them as a, a team of mine but anyway it's fun to see that chris beard's an incredible coach in fact i talk a lot about how pope is clearly on the rise as being like one of the hottest coaches in the nation i mean chris beard is probably already considered a top five coach in the country right now i wouldn't be surprised about that at least what he's done at texas tech has been nothing short of incredible either but anyway we're not here to talk about them one thing of note is our three point, like we, I mean, as you had mentioned, our offense is definitely down this year for basketball, but even kind of more concerning is our three point percentage is actually down. It's the lowest it's been since the 97, 98 season, which I think is noteworthy in a bad way. Yeah, that's not good. We got to find shooters and Barcelo was supposed to be that guy, but I, I feel like teams have kind of keyed in on the fact that he's not really going to create his own shot for a three, and so they just guard him when he doesn't have the ball, and he hasn't been able to get off clean threes really at all the last several games. And uh, besides him, I mean, who do you really go to for a three? I guess uh, uh, Brandon Averett's some semi-reliable. He's supposed to go to be, be able to go to Nell. Nell, Nell kind of... Like he he was the big news in the St. Mary's game because he had started for the first time. Yeah, and Pope was really kind of mixing things up, and it kind of seemed like, oh, like he's really putting a lot of faith in Nell. Um, who was it that took the bench? Is it Harding that went on the bench? Yeah, Harding, instead? and he was yeah, um, yeah. And and Nell didn't do much. He hit one three near the beginning of the game, and then that was it. Yeah, there's really there's no reliable source of three pointers right now. That that is the one concerning thing for for this team because uh, when especially if you want to beat a team like Gonzaga, you're gonna have to hit some threes. And right now, it's they're not they're not falling. Yeah, really too bad. Anyway, it does seem like this team. One thing to your point as well, where it just is like we could probably we could drop a random WCC game. We are that kind of team this year. If that does happen, I think it's mainly due to the fact that we seem to be very slow starting. We really, really can't get things going right off the bat, but we do tend to finish strong. In fact, that was another theme of the San Francisco game. 
there was apparently it was interesting. Um, it was no coincidence that BYU stopped St. Mary's scoring around the 10 minute mark, 10, 11 mark, because um, we were down but to uh, to San Francisco at that around that same mark and then went on like a 31, 13 run <laughs> over San Francisco. Yeah. Well, before I, the game ended there. So I, I wonder mean, how it, much of that is just a show that we buckled down. Well, I wonder how much of this is personnel issues, and it's just a matter of Pope finding the right combination of guys to start the game with. Um, may, maybe the current starting roster isn't quite where it needs to be, and they need to consider guys like Gideon George to maybe, even though he's still a little bit raw, get him starting in these games, because I yeah. think he's bringing a spark in several games that's showing that when he's in the game, things good things happen. And so... Maybe it's just a personnel issue. Maybe it's a coaching style. I don't know what it is, but we got to figure out how to start games off better for sure. Yeah, we'll see. And I'm sure that's on their on their minds of what they can do there. I don't know, though. I mean, I don't mean to make it seem like a personnel issue necessarily. It's just, which it, I don't know how else you'd say it. So maybe it is. Maybe I am making that case. But um, that's just whatever it is. It seems like it takes a while to get kind of like the fire underneath our guys' feet to go. But Anyway, we don't need to be the dead horse. It'll be interesting shaking out to see how we finish in the WCC, see how many even more games we play, because who freaking knows. But um, One note, I want I wanted to kind of call you out on something that you tweeted, actually. Uh, Fox College Football had noted that only one team finished in the top 10 for college football in top 10, top 10 in scoring and scoring offense and defense this season. What did and I... you had taken that quote, tweeted it, yeah. and you said, not going to look at the comment section, but I can imagine it is full of fans from garbage teams whining about the schedule. And yes, that is edited, but <laughs> um, uh, the thing is, that's, that's merited in my mind. I, I, I Like, yeah, you're, you're probably right, but also they're right. <laughs> like the comment section is probably full of people pointing out that BYU played nobody this year, which is why they were top 10 in scoring offense and defense. I mean, it is what it is, man. I, it, uh, their schedule was so bad, but I'm just saying, I don't like that stat as a standalone. I don't think it signifies anything about BYU's prowess last season. I think anything we can glean from that is, is that BYU didn't, falter at all which is great they took advantage of a terrible schedule which wasn't their fault i get all that but that stat does not mean it was a great team yeah that, but that's basically but my argument. there are all kinds of efficiency ratings and 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 computer models that take all of that into account and regardless of all those uh corrections that are made for schedule strength and everything the computer model still loved us this year. And so these fans that want to go off on BYU's schedule, that's fine. But if their team, according to the computer models, had to face that same schedule, they wouldn't have been able to replicate that. And uh, I, don't, I just find it, it's a boring take to just keep going after the schedule time and time again. We've all heard it. We all know BYU's schedule wasn't very good. So come up with a better argument. Come up with a more interesting response to... That's a great to, argument, though. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. It is a great argument, though. Like, our schedule was so... Like, we put... What was it? Like, the 83rd strength of schedule or something like that? Like, that's... When you play crappy teams, you do well. Like, 
And it's not really an indication of how good you are. It's more of an indication of how crappy the teams are that you play. Okay, and I'm fine. If, 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 a, if, a, if a Clemson fan or a Notre Dame fan wants to come at us with that, that's fine. But if you're a fan of, like, Florida State or if you're a fan of, I don't know, Syracuse, then get out of here with that because your team sucks. Okay, sure. I guess it's all relative. I'm just trying to look at our own team and be like, if I'm going to make an argument for how good BYU is, I'm not going to point at that stat. That That's really what I'm saying here, right? Because we all know how much of a homer I am for BYU, right? That's why we're doing this podcast. But I want to be at least a homer in the right way, and pointing to this stat to me is not the right way. That's fine. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't tweet it out. I just quote tweeted something that... Uh, I know. Yeah, so. I know. I'm not really... Just for the record, I'm not really coming at you. You're actually just providing good fodder, fodder for a conversation. Yeah, sure. I know... I know you're not saying herein is why BYU was actually legitimately should have been a top 10 team, blah, blah. I know you're not making that case. I know you're um, in your defense. I do think we got screwed, though. I, I think we got screwed by the final rankings because leading up to the bowl season, we were ahead of Northwestern. Northwestern goes and beats a pedestrian Auburn team uh, by like 16 points. We beat a, you know, you could probably call a pedestrian UCF team by 26 points or whatever it was. And it's like, how does that validate moving Northwestern over us into the top ten? I, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like when you blow your bull opponent out and it's a respectable opponent, the only way Northwestern should have passed BYU is if they beat a top twenty-five team and they didn't. So I'm kind of annoyed that we didn't finish in the top ten because we finished right outside at number eleven because of that change. And probably some of it's probably recency bias. I feel like the voters. Were, had more recently seen the Northwestern Bowl game, and so they were more likely to give them credit for that. I don't know. That kind of bugged me, though, because we could have held our hats or hung our hats on saying, hey, at least we finished in the top 10, even though the season kind of ended on a disappointing note with the Coastal Carolina game. Um, yeah, so that's a better argument. I'll give you that. That, um, like, just kind of how they that they played, a like you said, a mediocre Auburn team. Um. But Northwestern's schedule did look a lot better than ours. And they, I mean, they actually, how many games did they play? They played like 10 games. Yeah, but they, I mean, they, did, they, didn't, they, they didn't really have any impressive wins, though. They, their losses were to good teams, but they... They did beat Wisconsin at the time. I, don't, I mean, Wisconsin didn't shake out like amazing or anything, but they did beat a good Wisconsin team at the time. Yeah, and was, they Wisconsin barely lost to a really good-looking Ohio State team. Granted, Ohio State got thrashed in the national championship, but they freaking destroyed Clemson. Well, let's face it. The Big, they, the big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of ruined the season. They should have just stayed out of it because they came in and played this little mini schedule, and it's, it's, like, it's already hard enough with the lack of interconference play to determine who is good, who is not. And then the Big Ten and the Pac-12 came in and played their little puny schedule. And they, I, I feel like it would have been better for college football if they just stayed out of it because it just made it harder to evaluate things. That is also one of your better arguments, I would say. But that's what just made the season so weird. Like, yeah. who was going to say no to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 once they wanted to come back in, obviously? Like everyone wanted as much participation as possible, but it did end up throwing a big rank, like rank wrench into the whole season, and just kind of got things got weird pretty quickly from it. But well, and just the way know. the way just, the way they were so flip floppy on whether we were going to play, it's like either you're going to play or you're not. Why? Like what happened was they said they're not going to play, and they thought because they're so prestigious and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that everyone was just going to follow suit. 
and their bluff backfired, and then they had to figure out how to scramble and not miss out on the season. It was just pure virtue signaling. Like, if you truly believe that it was dangerous to play, then what changed? What changed? Like, the other team's playing, you, you got FOMO, and you decided to play, and you screwed everything up. If they just would have played from the onset like everyone else, great. But they didn't do that, and I feel like they should have been punished for that. And I, even though Ohio State did go and beat Clemson, like, good for them, I still... I wouldn't have put Ohio State in the playoff because they're in a conference that wimped out on the season until until they realized they were missing out. It was particularly dirty too, actually. Like the sinister aspect of, of the Big Ten, um, like angling so Ohio State would get in over which which team was it? Was it? Um, it would have been. Minnesota? Um, in, it was Indiana. I think it was Indiana. Oh. Yeah, Indiana. You're you're right. It was Indiana. Um, Indiana had like the better lane. Granted, Indiana did lose to Ohio State, but yeah, but they, I think uh, they they had a rule from the beginning that you had to play like six games in order to be considered for the conference championship, and Ohio State had played yeah, five. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so dirty of Ohio State to like the well, no, not not just Ohio State. Let's be real. It's not just. It's actually not really dirty of Ohio State at all. In fact, call call a spade a spade. I don't know what hand Ohio State played in any of that. It was dirty of the Big Ten to do what they did. It seemed like because they at first were like, nope, we're not going to play for whatever reason. We we think it's unsafe, and then people start playing, and it seems like things got they got things under control, and they're like, you know what? Maybe we're okay. Let's let's actually play. And so they play, and then they also play on their terms, and say, "Well, we're going to now revise some rules so that we can get a team that has the best chance of getting into the playoff." And you're just like, "This is just nasty from day one, man." It's so frustrating to see that. So ultimately, all this to say is, I agree with you. Um, it probably would have just been a lot better and a lot easier if the Big Ten and the Pac. Well, now, granted, Pac-12 didn't even. They didn't, didn't even yeah. rattle any cages. Yeah. It didn't matter. But the Big Ten certainly kind of threw a big wrench in everything because of that. So that was pretty lame. I do agree with that. Yeah, I'll root against both of those conferences forever. I mean, I, I already didn't like those conferences to begin with. But now, like after this season and everything that went down, I, I have zero motivation to ever root for their teams again. All right. So before we kind of like end things totally here, I do want to talk about one other thing. Um. This is going to be totally off topic, but I do have kind of a goal, I guess you could say, to start kind of discussing things outside of the purview of BYU sports and just kind of branching out. Uh, you and I came across a tweet the other day, and there's no secret. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to connect some dots, BYU is a part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, um, so that's connected, obviously, and that's intertwined with years in my faith and we came across a tweet from somebody who was talking about how they had just lost it on a thread on facebook on some married women in the church because apparently they were being condescending to single members and the way that she had put it was that all i'm going to say is single mormons deserve medals for a lot of reasons but especially for dealing with belittling married members like dealing with like she actually worded it very strangely. It's kind of hard to follow. But like when you're dealing with a, a married member who belittles you for being single, and then she finishes it up by saying, you people are exhausting. And you and I kind of talked about this and we, we, we had issues with this because like my, my takeaway was 
the the fact that she thinks we deserve anything for being a part of the church. Now, I thought uh, to me that like drew a clear line in the sand about how I look at this church versus how she and her people look at this church, which is she believes that by nature of being a member of this church, she should get something out of it. Whereas my takeaway is I owe this church everything it's given me. I, the reason why I'm a part of it is because it's done so much for me as a, a member of this church, and it's changed my perception and my worldview on so many things that have been so extremely beneficial. So for her to put it this way, felt like very entitled to say the least, but it also shined a light just kind of on how she looks at the utility of the church. Like how, what is, what is it, what's in it for her? And I, and, and a lot of the people that she, you know, rubs shoulders with. And I thought that was enlightening. I thought that was important for me to kind of be able to actually delineate now how I look at something versus how they look at something. And what would you think after looking at that? Well, Twitter is a cesspool, first of all. And the problem with Twitter is it allows deranged people to find other deranged people. And there's no lack of those on Twitter. And so it creates these strange communities that are fueled by their shared resentment for whatever it is that they resent. And this individual <laughs> who tweeted that, uh, she definitely exemplifies that to to a high degree. And I, I also, I kind of laughed about it because I, I think like, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of married people in the church who kind of have a, a condescending view towards people who uh, don't get married at the, you know, typical Mormon yeah, there's, age. There's no question about yeah, that. Like age 23 to 27, if you don't get married in that window, there's a lot of people who look down on that and are condescending. But why, why do you let it bother you so much? Who cares? Like at the end of the day, being overly defensive about being single is just as pathetic as being overly condescending and pretentious about being married. Like at the end of the day, if you're in your 30s and you're single, yeah, you probably do have some blame there. You probably, you probably, you know, either because you screwed around too much in your 20s or because you uh, had a inflated sense of what you deserve as a single person, or whether you simply just don't have good judgment when it comes to dating. There's clearly some deficiency there, and I can acknowledge that in myself. And if there's people in the church that have a condescending attitude towards that in a general sense, not directed at me but generally i don't really give a damn and i and when people are super insecure about that it usually points out that they probably do have a million flaws that are making them single and in the case of the person that tweeted that absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean i guess the one of the major differences you and i are pointing out is it's kind of that sense of entitlement that i was mentioning but more specifically it's those that choose to look internally like about their problems versus those that choose to look externally right when they are confronted with issues and hardships trials of any kind their first inclination is to look outward and say who is causing this or what is causing this not what can i do better to change that what can i do to shift the way i look at things or the things that i the way i live my life so that i can improve upon things right it's kind of the jordan peterson philosophy right mm -hmm. why don't you make your bed before you criticize the world, you know, because there's so many different little variables and little things that you can fix up in your own life that can automatically, after you do that, improve your behavior, improve your outlook on life and yeah. show that you actually have more control over your problems than you'd like to think initially. And then obviously you build off of that. Yeah. I wonder how much of it has to do with like the type of person that 
never really learned to solve their own problems as a kid and always relied on their parents to take care of business the second things got difficult or complicated. And I wonder if that carries over into adulthood if you don't learn to own your own decisions and own your own, uh, I guess, inadequate outcomes in your life. If you develop this like psychological dependence on blaming some external force or or leaning on some external force to fix things for you. Um, I don't know. You could probably talk about this for hours. The psychology of, of uh, victimhood versus self-sufficiency. I don't, I don't know. That was actually along those lines. That was something that a friend of mine had pointed out too that I appreciated a lot. He said the greatest tool at our disposal is choosing to be grateful versus choosing to be entitled. And there's, there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, there's, there's so much inner peace that comes with that mentality because of saying, I actually really have a lot more control because the moment you give up control about whatever is happening in your life, the anxiety and the stress and the depression, I mean, it, it's just, you're just swarmed by it because once you think that you legitimately cannot control every bad thing that happens to you, then, or even every good thing for that matter, then, then really it's, why, why wouldn't you think like, oh, well then what's the point of all this? What's the point of trying at all in this world, in this life? Well, that's why, that's why I like to read history is you go back pre-19th century, the average person, or pre-20th century, excuse me, the average person lived on a dollar a day in today's equivalent. And uh, life for the last several uh, thousand years has just been awful for everyone. And we, we here in this 21st century who have never seen that kind of life before, we think we're a victim for the smallest things. And it's like the fact that you're even alive and not having to look over your shoulder every day to see if someone's coming to rob or pillage your village is we live in pretty good times. And we're pretty pathetic that we find all these superficial, ridiculous little nuances of life to to find some sort of self-pity and it, it it really is sad and i think having a deeper understanding of how bad things have been throughout history kind of helps mitigate the the natural tendency to to become a victim that's just that's just my two cents but i would agree and you know along along the lines of, this is something i want to share because just like like timing wise was incredible um my my sister actually gave me this book called isaiah decoded and it, it talks about, it, it's a breakdown. It's this PhD, this guy goes in and kind of really breaks down what Isaiah is saying, which I mean, heaven knows we all need that help with that. Um, and it talks about kind of this whole idea of why we are a part of establishments. And this comes out of Isaiah, I guess. And what he says is this along the lines of what I was talking about earlier, kind of like, what do I get out of being a member of the church? You know, that's if, if you have that mindset, you might need to reevaluate your mindset. But anyway. It says, we then serve the establishment. The establishment doesn't serve us. Over time, we grow ignorant of anything but Babylon. And Babylon talking about kind of the world and kind of the, the, uh, the, the terrible parts of the world. By choosing falsely, by aborting life's tests, we forfeit being reborn on higher levels. Essentially saying that our trials are what shape us, right? And that's how we grow. And that's how we overcome and get better survive and advance and keep on improving things like that and um if you're constantly looking for reasons to feel like think you you should be owed for things then you're just going to be walking through this life disappointed constantly 
Yeah, and I think uh, along the same lines of you know looking for the church to owe you something, I, I think there there's a tendency uh, for people to feel like they're, they're, what they get out of the church is some kind of social life or a social association with a group of people. And I think that's just the wrong way to look at your church membership or any membership in a group. Um, I think ultimately... Uh, the the key to I think people that society improving and becoming better is to stop getting so much, um, st- stop I guess to stop looking for your group affiliation for some sort of reward whether that's feeling virtuous because you're attached to a certain political party or a certain religion, uh, your virtue is going to come from your own actions in your own life. It's not going to come from putting a stamp on your name next to a religion or a political party. It's ultimately coming from how you act in your own life and the people directly surrounding you. And I think there's a lot of people out there that like to um, make make an argument that their affiliation with a certain group is what gives them virtue. And that's just the wrong way to look at it. Or even their identity, too, to some degrees, which I understand, like, we, we do be a part of these organizations because it, it's kind of part of our identity and then we let these organizations shape our identity and it kind of becomes cyclical. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you're right. Your identity really is just what you do, not what you're a part of or even how you think. It's really what you do. Mm-hmm. So, I get that. Well, who would have thought we would have been quoting Isaiah in a BYU sports podcast, so to speak, but I guess that all kind of goes around what I've been wanting to do lately is just kind of let's branch out. Like, let's talk about other topics. We don't need to be all sports all the time, especially when BYU basketball is really all you have. Don't get me wrong. I still have a podcast locked and loaded about Tom Homo and what I truly <laughs> think of him and how overrated of an athletic director I actually think he might be. But and we're going to we're gonna have to talk about his Halloween costumes at some point as well. Oh, 100%. That's like one of the top topics that we will be hitting on when it comes to Tom Homo. That that's actually one of his greatest accomplishments, if you can believe that. Anyway, well, Chase, do you have anything else you want to add or anything I think you we, want to talk about? I or? think we can wrap it up. That sounds good to me. All righty. Well, we should be back later on. Um, obviously, we'll be talking more BYU. And as I said, we'll be kind of giving off more topics. I'll probably have other people on the podcast talking about other topics that I think might be interesting or kind of relevant for today. Um, Specifically, a friend of mine that had taught at BYU-Hawaii and kind of his experience with that we'll talk about. Anyway, so that'll all be coming later on. But anyway, Chase, appreciate it as always and uh, looking forward to the next time we get together on this. All right, go taste them. Go taste them.